This is Play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play by play guys. For play by play guys, by I'm told, a play by play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now, here's the host of Play by Playcast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay. Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Finally okay for Matt Frazier. Once again, Madtown is Matt's town. For the third straight year, he is the fittest man on earth. Two for Toomey. She is the fittest woman on earth. All right, back at it for episode number 115 of Play-By-Play Cast. Thanks, as always, for the subscribe, the stream, the download, if you have a second, the rating or review if you're listening to us on iTunes or on Stitcher. This is, of course, the podcast about Play-By-Play broadcasters or Play-By-Play broadcasters hosted by a Play-By-Play broadcaster. It's a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, process, preparation, and stories of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. My name is Joel Godet. As always, you can follow the pod on social media at PXPCast or myself at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. Shoot me an email, J-G-O-D-E-T-T at B-S-U dot E-D-U. B-S-U for Ball State University dot E-D-U is the best way to get in touch with me. Good time of year. Talked about it last week with uh, fall football training camp starting. Uh, Now we are into the thick of it. Fall football training camp actually is ending, finishes on Sunday. It's the last practice of training camp for the Ball State football Cardinals. Class starts on Monday, and then it's an official game week on Friday. We are one week away from official game week practices because Thursday night, August 30th, is the kickoff of the 2018 college football season, which means I really need to start getting working on a chart. <laughs> I, I don't have one yet, uh, but, but I'm sure that by uh, August 30th I will. It is just wild how the season has jumped upon us so quickly. This has been the, the fastest-moving fall football camp, I think, of my now seven seasons at Ball State. It's remarkable. Like, it has gone by in a whirlwind. Uh, And that's always good, I feel like. Because fall camp can drag on, and it gets to the point where you just want to play a game. And you can't, because you're still in fall camp. Uh, But the fact that it moved along quickly this year was uh, a nice welcome change. So football, next up on the docket. Uh, The most recent thing that I broadcast, though, was the CrossFit Games. Now, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago uh, when I was up in Madison, Wisconsin, doing the teens and masters divisions, masters 35-year-old up to 49-year-old divisions at the CrossFit Games. And I said uh, we would have on in the coming weeks the voice of the CrossFit Games, like the main attraction, um, not just the teenage division and the masters division, not just the age groups, but like the, the main attraction games. The open division athletes, your Matt Frazers, Katrin David's daughter, Sarah Sigmund's daughter, Annie Thoris' daughter, Brooke Wells, Tia Claire Toomey, um, Josh Bridges, uh, BKG, you know, all those guys, Patrick Velder, Brent Fikowski, like the, the names in CrossFit, the main attraction. We would have the guy who calls that stuff. 
on the podcast to talk about uh, what it's like to broadcast CrossFit. And uh, we indeed have followed through on that. Sean Woodland is the voice of the CrossFit Games and has been with CrossFit for uh, for several years now after uh, originally getting into broadcasting as a television sports anchor. He worked for, for WJXT in Jacksonville, Florida, and in doing so covered the Jags, covered college football for the Big Three, covered Tim Tebow when he was in college, but also when he was in high school in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, then got out of television, and he'll take us on his journey a little bit. Uh, worked at a PR agency and then found his way into CrossFit. And uh, not only has he started working for CrossFit, but he's kind of like, in a lot of ways, the like the internet face of CrossFit. Roy McKernan uh, is a guy that is very well associated with CrossFit, and Tommy Marquez, too, is one of their other on-air personalities. But Sean Woodland does a lot of their update shows and interviews um, and obviously does the play-by-play for the games and is just, you just, you see him a lot. Uh, so he's he's kind of one of those guys that has almost been been branded as CrossFit on air, if that makes sense. Like you see him and you know what you're watching, which in, in one sense is, uh, well, in a lot of senses, is, uh, is really cool. So uh, awesome conversation here with Sean about broadcasting something that's a little bit different here this week and uh, how he tackles it, how he goes about it, and his career path as well. And that is where we start, his career path. How one becomes the voice of the CrossFit Games. Sean Woodland is our guest here on episode 115. <laughs> uh, wrong place, wrong time. <laughs> no, actually, it was a, it's, a, it's a kind of funny story. It was just right place, right time kind of thing. I, I went to the CrossFit Games. I've been doing CrossFit since 2007, the year the CrossFit Games started. And I didn't even know, you know, that kind of where that they had a business, where they were located, that they had a media arm, nothing. Uh, but as I got more into it, I started kind of following it as a sport. And I was living in Jackson, in Jacksonville, Florida at the time. Uh, moved back home to California in 2010. And as a fan, went to the Games in 2011. And that was when they had just uh, signed with Reebok. They had a deal with ESPN for some post-production shows. I didn't know any of this at the time. Um, so I went to the games as a fan. And I was sitting there uh, with my old college roommate, with whom I connected again through CrossFit, which is a whole other story. Uh, but we're sitting there in the tennis stadium at, at the what was then, I think, the Home Depot Center, now the Stump Up Center. And I'm looking out on the floor, and I see that they got people in – polo shirts with ESPN microphones and there's a whole TV production thing going on. And I'm thinking, Oh, I, I got to get involved in this. And no one, no one told me this was going on because at the time I was out of, uh, I'd been out of TV for about a year. I was doing uh, advertising. So I kind of left, left my, I thought I had left my permanent uh, media life behind me and just decided that I got to find out how to get involved in this because I had a lot of uh, media experience uh, doing sports as a local sports anchor and markets like Kalispell, Montana and Tallahassee, Florida and Jacksonville. I've been doing that for about 12 years and got home after I was there uh, and just fired off a random email to media at CrossFit.com. I think was the, the address at the time. Didn't hear anything. And that was that was August of 2011. It's funny, that's how, that's how I got involved in CrossFit, too. That's yeah, you just sent off an email. And it, it, it tends to work. Uh, so in 2012, I went and I got my level one coaching certificate. 
at uh, the University of Nevada, Reno. They were holding a level one seminar. And the gym I was currently attending in Sacramento said, hey, if you want to go do this, uh, we'll pay half because we need to coach. And then you can go get your certificate. And you can coach here and then we'll give you a break on membership fees. I said, perfect. That sounds like a good idea. Went to the seminar and Pat Sherwood, who until recently has been a member of the media team. He's still with the company, but he has moved on to a different um, assignment, a different role, was one of the instructors. So I had seen Pat on a lot of the videos and I approached him during a break and, and asked him how he got involved and kind of explain a little bit about myself and my background. And he told me to, yeah, forward me your stuff. Here's my email and, and I'll make sure it gets in, in the right people's hands. And at the time I kind of thought he was just blowing me off a little bit, which you, know, you could understand why I'm sure he gets a lot of that stuff at the, the level ones, but he didn't. And I emailed him and he emailed me back and didn't, I didn't hear anything immediately, but in, I think it was April of 2012, I got a call from Rory McKernan who is one of the big media personalities that has been around for a while with CrossFit and was kind of in charge of building their media team. Cause at the time they had a bunch of people who knew a lot about CrossFit, but nothing about television. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, it was, it's remarkable that they, I think by sheer force of will, they were able to get their stuff on air and done. They had no TV knowledge whatsoever. And he called me. And at the time, this was when we had 17 regional competitions that allowed people to qualify for the games that has since been pared down. But we used to have 17 and they were going to take a team of people to go broadcast the central East regional in Columbus, Ohio for ESPN three. And Rory had gotten my email that I had sent in August. He said, I'd been on their radar for a little while. He had heard from Pat. He forwarded uh, Rory my information as well. And he asked if I would like to come do play-by-play -play for the women's part of that competition. And I tried to think of a word faster than yes. So I, I said, absolutely, I would love to. Um, and that's kind of how it started. I went to Columbus, Ohio that year, and we had an army of people on that media team. And they were just trying out anybody who, who had some sort of public speaking uh, capability, a lot of their level one staff seminar, a lot of athletes, anybody. They were just throwing up there to see what worked. And I was the only guy on the team who had any sort of media, uh, media background. So any sort of TV training where I, I had was used to having someone in my ear, count me down while I was doing something else they, who understood sports broadcasting at all. They really liked what I did there. They had me back in, uh, for the games. They wanted me to do the individuals for the games. And I still wasn't working for them full time. I was just freelancing and I did it in 2012. And then they hired me full time in 2013. And, and it's, uh, I've been doing it ever since. Were you, uh, before that, were you kind of like at peace with the television business? I know you got into PR and, and advertising after you had worked in Jacksonville. Was it one of those things where it was like, you know what, that was a, it was great for a decade, but I, I've moved on, and then this presented itself the way that it unfolded? Or was it one of those things where, in the back of your mind, you still had that, that bug, and this was the right opportunity that unfolded in the right way? I think it was a little bit of both. I think to start, when I, when I first got out of TV, uh, and moved into PR and marketing, I had kind of resigned myself to the fact that yeah, that was a great time. I have fantastic memories that I wouldn't trade for anything. I loved it, but I need to move on now because the business is clearly changing. It doesn't look like there's going to be an opportunity for me to continue my, uh, my career in, in a way that I'd want to. But I always thought that, you know, if the right thing came along, I'd, I'd get back in. But I just didn't think it was out there. I, I freelanced a little bit for Comcast uh, Sportsnet in the Bay Area 
in California, did a couple things for them just to kind of keep my, my toe in it. But I, yeah, I had kind of just resigned myself to the fact that I was going to have a job just like everybody else out there. And I was going to go do my job and do the best I could and then uh, have a life outside of that. And and that was that it wasn't something I, I loved to do, but it was as I was fortunate to be employed at the time. And, and that was that, but it, then the whole CrossFit thing came along and I said, yeah, this is it. I got to get back in this. This will get me back in. Where did, it worked out. where did uh, word calling games, calling action, calling live events kind of fall on your spectrum of things you wanted to do? And uh, I mean, obviously, it's it's probably well, I don't know. I don't know if it's what you're most known for now, because everybody just kind of sees you as like the media face of, of CrossFit, mm-hmm. too. But um, I don't know. Where, where was it kind of on your ledger of uh, interest? And, and I guess how did it turn into to, to what your job is now? When I first decided I wanted to do broadcasting, it was really high on my list. I went to San Francisco State and went through their broadcasting and electronic communication arts department. They had a great sportscasting class, and we broadcast all of our own games because we were, I think, division we were division two and had no TV deal, so it was all local cable access. So it was a great experience. You just got to get in there and do it. I always loved doing the play-by-play and and that kind of thing. But getting a job out of college in that industry is very tough. So I focused more on. Uh, the sports anchor side of it because I enjoyed doing that too and I thought there would be more opportunities for me to to be employed doing that but it was always something that I wanted to do but I just didn't think I'd get back into it to do it and again it was just it was just one of those things where you know right place right time I was literally the only guy they had that had any <laughs> sort of tv skill whatsoever and they said all right you're it and uh and I loved it I, it's it's one of my favorite things to do now so what's your what's your title officially I don't have one I mean I think I'm, I'm I think I am the managing editor of the update show i think that's what they call me that sounds pretty narrow for what you do <laughs> it is and, and that's that's the thing people say oh well, what you know what's your title what's your main responsibility and i mean i, I that's one of the cool things about about the position and, and about crossfit games media is that we all do a bunch of different stuff i mean i you know i write i i produce i i host update shows i do interviews i do play by play i manage the uh, on-air media team I, there's all kinds of stuff uh, that I have my, my hands on and I love it. You know, I, one thing that I really enjoy is when we do our post-production shows for now, CBS sports network, just the writing and the construction of those shows. I work hand in hand with some other guys uh, at CrossFit HQ. And we, I have a, I really enjoy that part of it. It has nothing to do with being on air, but it's just the writing and the, and the creative process. So I'm lucky that I get to, to do that as well, but uh, it is definitely, it's great because you get to, you get to touch a lot of stuff and it's a lot of fun. You know, it's not just you're the play by play guy and that's all you do. Yeah. I, I vibe with you on that one based on uh, I mean, kind of what I do in, in my full-time job right now too, yeah. is, is you get to, you get to call games, which is awesome, but it's also the creative outlet to write, produce all that kind of stuff, which is, is kind of neat in the, the well-roundedness of it. Um, yeah. It keeps you getting stuck in a rut, which is fun. Yeah. hundred Oh gosh. hundred yeah. um, percent. Second broad question. Um, if we, we go to the, the play-by-play aspect of it, mm-hmm. uh, how does one call the CrossFit games? Uh, it's, it's a, that's a really good question. I, I think it's, <laughs> you have to understand that it's going to, it's a unique challenge and, and you've done it. So yeah. you, you get it. It's, it's going to be unlike anything you've ever done because when you do a basketball game, you know, that there are either going to be two halves or four quarters, depending on what level you're calling, you know, that depending on where the, the ball is shot from, it's going to be either two points or three points, you know, that a free throw is worth one, you, you know, all the, all the rules going in and they never change. Whereas with us, the field of play changes, the time in which the event is going to be done changes, the scoring changes, the, 
the number of athletes on the floor changes. So it's always different. So not only do you have to worry about keeping people updated on the action, you have to explain, okay, this is how many repetitions are in one round of this event. The, this is how many points this event is worth. Uh, there's no permanent scoreboard that with just two teams. So you know, whenever you turn on a, a basketball game, you know, who's leading and you know how much time is left and, and uh, you know what the deficit is. Whereas with us, because it's based on a leaderboard, you don't, we don't have that scoreboard on the screen at all times. You, you have to keep people updated. Okay. This guy's in the lead by this much. And if he is ahead of this guy, this is what that means. So there's a lot of context and there's just a lot of explaining you have to do, but you can't let that get in the way of calling the action. Now, fortunately we do have some events that are a little bit longer that afford you the opportunity to do you know, more of that ex- explanation stuff. And then we have one, some that are just outright sprints where you just don't have the opportunity to, to do that. But when you have a chance, you have to remind everybody, okay, this is what this means. And, and uh, I'll give you an example. We had an event at the games uh, on Sunday and it was uh, five rounds. You ran 300 meters and then you completed 20 calories on the assault bike. And then you pulled the sled 44 feet that would weighed 185 pounds for the men. Well, how do you score that? So I had to explain to the people at home, there's a, there's a ticker that we have up top. We call it our scoring hat that tracks the athletes and who's in the lead. Okay. Well, the run counts for one and then you get 20. So one each for the calories. And then the pull counts as one. So there are 22 repetitions in every round. So you have to explain that because people will just look at these numbers ticking up and they have no idea about context. So that's, that's the biggest challenge is just really trying to keep things in context and explaining things that are going on because you can, you can put someone in front of a basketball game who, doesn't know a whole lot about basketball and they can probably pick it up pretty quickly. They know the basics, the basic, basic stuff. But with us, even people who watch our sport a long time and who are you know dedicated fans, they might not know how the floor is laid out and why they're, why they're moving the barbell every certain amount of reps or you know what who's in the lead and by how much. So it, it can get kind of confusing. Yeah, I think that was one of the most frustrating things for, for me, even when I just mm-hmm. watched back what, what I did last week was the amount of times I watched something and I was like, gosh, dang it, Joel, like, what what am I watching right now? Like, the, yeah, the, it's the need to continuously reset, mm-hmm. even, it's almost like time and score is what is yes. the event. Like, yep. every, every no, two minutes is what they're right. doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, and, and even... Yeah, even for people that, that know the, the events, like I said, I, I finally got the chance that we were talking before we started. Uh, I got a chance to go back and watch some stuff that I didn't get to see on site, and I don't know the events that well. And, yeah. and for someone like me, I still need to be reminded, okay, what's next? So, it, yeah, it's uh, you really have to keep that in mind. That's the biggest challenge. You know, one of the jokes in CrossFit, too, is constantly varied, but it's also very mm-hmm. – it's a true foundation of it. Oh, yeah. Um, and I don't know how true this is. You, you'd, you'd be able to tell me more. Um, but, like, Chase Ingram, who I worked with at Regionals uh, and mm-hmm. who's been on the media team, broadcast team for a long time, uh, joked with me when we were at Regionals that you'll go to the games and sometimes they'll, like, before the event, put down in front of you, okay, here's the event, three, two, one, go. Um, yeah. What's it like to broadcast an event when even you as the announcer don't necessarily have a whole lot of lead time on what you're watching? It's tough. I mean, it's uh, I think we made the analogy because we had an event like that at the games this year where they didn't tell the athletes how many repetitions <laughs> there were, how many movements. They said, you're going to work until we stop. Now, yeah. luckily, beforehand, we knew the count going in. So we they they have stopped setting us out there unarmed. That has happened before. Uh, but we usually get enough information 
so we can do a decent job of letting people know what exactly is going on and and what the event is. But there have been times in the past before they they understood the need to share information with the broadcast team where you do get thrown out there and you get handed the event description a couple minutes beforehand and you're going to have to make sense of it. How hard is it to track everything that's going on? Um, just in terms of, I mean, you know, for you it was a little bit different because you're, for the most part, doing 10 at a time. You go to Masters and Teens, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're doing 20 people at a time. Um, yeah. Trying to keep track of everything that's happening um, and not catching yourself by surprise when somebody does something and it's like, I'm locked in on Matt Fraser and all of a sudden mm-hmm. in lane 10, uh, you know, Jared Enderton just came out of nowhere and started doing right. this. And, and what's the difficulty? And do you kind of have a trick in terms of how you stay focused on everything so you don't get caught? Luckily, we have a, the higher we go in the competition, meaning the, from open to regional. So we have open and then we have regionals and then we have a game. So yep. the, the farther we ad, advance into the competition, the better tools we have to kind of help us do that. We have a great scoring system that allows us to keep track of what's going on on the floor. And then the main thing that we try to do, too, is focus on the main race. That gets easier as the competition goes on. Because during the first couple events, you don't obviously have a clear leader. The leaderboard hasn't started to sort itself out. But as you move on later in the competition, you understand, okay, the big battle here is for who wants to get on the podium. So it's for those top three spots. So we really try to do a good uh, job of focusing on that and not get enamored sometimes with someone who might be winning an event but has no chance whatsoever of getting onto the podium. So while that's an interesting story, we try to focus on what's the overall battle going on, and that helps you narrow down the field a little bit. Now, it does get hectic, with, like when you said, when you have 40 athletes on the field, and, and we had one this year where they put all 40 men in the water with the same colored swim caps and no really identifying marks on them whatsoever. I did not envy and you. We, <laughs> we had no idea. We thought, like, we think that's Brent Fakowski. We're not 100% sure, and luckily it was, and so we didn't have to – uh, correct ourselves on that, but it, it can be hard when there are times like that. But for the most part, that's one place where I think that uh, Dave Castro, who's the director of the CrossFit Games, and his team have gotten better with helping us identify people uh, who are on the floor, whether it be you know, more visible numbers on their uniforms, whether it be the, the tattoos that they put on them if they're in the water of a number. So it does get a little bit easier to to identify them that way. Uh, but it, again, for us, it's all about more about the bigger race, not just the one going on in the event. And when we have 20 people out there, usually the way we uh, uh, arrange the the lanes, we do it like swimming. So we put our top overall leaders right in the middle of the floor. So it makes it really easy to kind of focus on those guys. Is it one of those things where it's almost less that you're broadcasting a? You, I, I mean, it, it is. A, I mean, it is a sport, but it's less like you're broadcasting a sporting event and more like you're telling a story of these particular people. If that makes sure. sense. No, I think that absolutely. It's, absolutely you, you're using the sport as a vehicle to tell these stories, as opposed to calling the event in front of you sometimes. Definitely. And, and we try to keep that in mind, too, because a lot of our viewers who, if we're on CBS, who are tuning in for the first time, yep. have no idea who Matt Fraser is or why they should care about him. They don't know who Brent Fakowski is or what his story is. They don't know about Pat Belner's past. They don't know about you know, Bjork and Carl Gumanson. So we do take opportunities when we can to make sure that we tell those athletes stories about where they train, you know, what their history is a little bit, any, you know, interesting tidbits about them that kind of give people a hook to latch onto. Because if you don't know these athletes and you're just tuning in for the first time, it's, it's hard to have a rooting interest. And we try to give people that and we, and we do try to tell their stories and, and the games kind of becomes that it's your story 
through your journey through this test. You know, you have 14 events and, and how are these guys doing with all these unique challenges that we, we throw at them? And, and that's, that's definitely a, a cool story to tell because, you know, you have a guy like Matt Fraser who I think in 14 events never finished lower than 11. That's incredible. I mean, that's well-rounded fitness right there. And, and that's the story you try to tell is, is why is it such a good test? Well, it's because it's testing all aspects of fitness and whoever's best in all the events is going to be the fittest on earth. It's like, if you were going to go find the, the fittest or the smartest kid in school, you wouldn't just take the kid who got the, the best score on the math test. You would look at math and English and science and, <laughs> and history, and you would do all that. You, you test them in all those different subjects and make them write essays and do you know multiple choice, give them as many tests as you could. And then you would figure out their GPA and then you would find your smartest kid. And that's essentially what we're doing uh, with the games. And we do try to keep that narrative in mind as we're moving through uh, the test. Let me ask you about prep on that note, too, um, mm-hmm. because and, and, and I guess it varies based on the audience you're broadcasting to if you're just online or if you're doing something that is airing on CBS Sports Network or on Network CBS. Um, mm-hmm. But how you prepare or, and, and then I guess how you use information on somebody like Matt Fraser, who mm-hmm. if you're a CrossFit fan, everyone knows who Matt Fraser is. And I, I have to imagine there are different kinds of questions you would ask him and different kinds of information you would try to glean from him versus somebody like Laura Horvath, who's a rookie mm-hmm. who nobody had heard of, where, I mean, you would want to know from her, hey, how'd you get involved in CrossFit? How did it, all this kind of stuff. You're not going to ask Matt Fraser those types of things right. every year. How do you prep different athletes differently? Um, and then how do you then utilize that differently based on the platform on which you're broadcasting. So I'll use the example you gave. So with Laura Horvath, because she was a rookie, and for people who don't know, she was a, a female rookie out of Hungary, first Hungarian woman to ever qualify for the CrossFit Games. I got the privilege of watching her a couple times at the at the Europe Regional, and I knew I was like, this kid's going to be good. She was, I think, I saw her when she was 17 or 18, and she was hanging with the the really talented athletes. But people don't know that. So you take Laura Horvath versus Matt Fraser, who everyone knows. So for Laura Horvath, it's more about. Uh, more personal information about her. Okay. Where did she come from? How did she, you know, how did she get started in this? What is her athletic background? Who's her coach? What kind of things does she excel at? What has she done in, in past competitions at the regional level when she didn't quite make it, but what impresses uh, people about her? So it's more, it's more personal information. Some, some things that you can tell people about how she has a climbing background and that's why uh, she's really good at, at, you know, rope climbs or, or whatever it may be. And, and that's uh, how she got into CrossFit. So you sort of tell her personal story, Whereas Matt Fraser, his story is how dominant and how good he's been. I can, everyone knows, uh, at least in CrossFit, how he got in, how he got into the, the training. He was in the former Olympic weightlifter and, and uh, decided to uh, train for the Olympics. He ended up getting hurt, had to quit when walked into a CrossFit gym and, and picked up some bumper plates and started just Olympic lifting again. And someone said, Hey, you might actually be pretty good at this. But, uh, and while that's a cool story to tell people because of the Olympic background, Matt's story, because of his competitive history is more about how dominant he's been. So with a guy like Matt Fraser, who's been around uh, for now five years, four years, five years, he, he I try to focus on, his accomplishments and competition, how many times he's been the overall leader in how many events, how many competitions he's won, um, how many event records he's set, how, how big his lead has been at certain points, because the thing that people who've never seen the sport before need to understand about him is he's dominant. And then they say, okay, well, what does that mean? And so I try to use information that I get on Matt to put that in perspective. So he's, for example, had the CrossFit games mathematically wrapped up, the last three years before the final event even started. And each year his margin of victory has gotten bigger. Now this year he had more points on the table, but his 
margin of victory this year was bigger than it was last year. So it's stuff like that that you do to give people context in order to for them to understand, wow, this guy's really good. Well, will you just assume at some point, too, that you have to have a certain level? Like, if you're watching on Network CBS, you're not going to tell Matt Fraser's story every single time. You're not going right. to revisit it every year. You mm-hmm. There's just kind of an assumed, you know what, I know this is on Network TV, and I know you might not have seen it before, but listen, you just kind of have to infer by what we're saying that this guy's pretty good and and kind of catch up to speed quickly as opposed to doing the whole shebang and, and kind of being sure. repetitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no question about that. And you can drop those little nuggets in there all the time just to get – I try to give people just some sort of idea. if there, Even if it's just one thing, some sort of idea about how down this guy's been. So if, you, if we can just say he's been the overall leader at the CrossFit Games in uh, 40 of the 55 events in which he's participated – so people can understand that, and that's all you need. But sure. uh, you, you, yeah, you're right. You don't have time to go through the whole thing every <laughs> single time we have Matt Fraser on, or that's you know, all we would talk about. How about when you broadcast heats uh, of an event? And I, I know it was different for you at the games this year because you, I think you only did heats three and four of each event. Um, right. But if you go to regionals and you're doing heats one, two, three, four, if you're doing masters mm-hmm. and teens and you're literally doing the same event six times. Right. Uh, how do you approach keeping it fresh? Because literally, like, I, I mean, like we went to the games and six times I would look at Jeremy and go, Jeremy, this is the jump finish. It involves this, this, this. Right. Would, yep. And, yep. And, and, and like the questions that I'm asking, I, I would think of something in an event and say like, I could ask that here, but you know what? I'm going to stick it yeah. in my back pocket and then in two rounds through, I'll ask him because maybe it'll be good conversation then. Uh, how do you keep things fresh when you're doing the same thing multiple times? I think you, you said it, you, know, you put the stuff, the good stuff in your back pocket. So some of those early heats in the way that, that CrossFit works is so that we save the best athletes for last. So the best athletes in the top 10. So if you have 40 athletes in the field and you have a heat, you know, you have heats of 10, the top 10 will go in the final heat. So when you do the first couple heats, you're dealing with athletes who, as far as the overall battle is concerned, is either for either making it onto the CrossFit Games podium or qualifying for the CrossFit Games, they are out of the running. And that's where I think you focus on, uh, we try to focus on cool stories of athletes who may have, maybe they've been to regionals eight times and they've never been able to make it, or maybe they, you know, this is their first appearance and, and they're a young athlete. How, how do they handle the test? You, you focus more on just trying to give people sort of a rooting interest in someone who really has no chance of having an impact on the competition. It's, so that's what we try to focus on, uh, Early on, it's about like cool stories like like Steph Chung, for example, one of the female athletes who was at the CrossFit Games has such a great story with how she was. She graduated med school in the United States and then she she moved to the Middle East and she was helping teach. A, I think it was like just some genius uh, level course, like ge- biological genetics or something that you know she should be building brains in her part time. But it's it's a great it's a great story. So we wanted to tell that during the event because the heat that she was, uh, in which she was competing had no bearing on the competition whatsoever. So it's about finding those cool personal stories and, and giving people a reason to stick with the event during that heat. So they can watch this girl who's got a great backstory, try and finish. And, sure. and then that's the other thing too. There's honor for these athletes and just getting through it. And you try to make it about that as well. But when then you start breaking down, the event, like you said, this is it's the same thing we just did, and the keys are exactly the same. <laughs> you try, I think, when you get later on, you try to relate it to stuff that you've seen in the past. So you saw these athletes who are all 
incredibly fit in the first heat, not handle it as well as the athletes who are handling it right now in the later heats. So why is that? Yeah. What's the difference? What are these get? What are these athletes doing that these athletes, the other athletes, were not doing? And uh, and then the competition also becomes you know more paramount as well. Well, and, and, so and that helps. similar to the Olympics too, I would imagine in terms of how that works heat wise. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Um, how do you broadcast 42,000 meters on a stationary uh, <laughs> rower? We, oh man. So yeah, for people who don't know, one of the uh, <laughs> events at the, it, one of the events at the CrossFit games this year, and it, it's a, it was a great test, but it was a marathon <laughs> row. So the, all 80 athletes at the same time on the floor of the Alliant Energy Center Coliseum, all sitting on rowers for three hours. That's all the event was. And, uh, our, our plan was the well, replay so, of the pass was great, by the way. Yeah. I mean, that was, I think at that point we were all punchy and we were just going, yeah, let's show it. Why not? Who cares? <laughs> um, but it was one of those things where we found out about the event and we all looked at each other and go, how we're not going to do this whole thing, are we? And, and of course we didn't. The plan was just to do, um, just to pop in every now and then and just do updates for people because they could watch online. And we had a scoreboard that people could watch that basically showed where the boats were or whether, you know, if they were actually in water, who was leading, how many meters they'd completed. Um, so there it was a lot about, again, just storytelling, building up uh, the athletes, trying to kind of set the stage for later in the competition, because by then we had had three events. And so the leaderboard was starting to take shape a little bit. So it was about focusing on, you know, what, who are the great stories in this? Uh, they were, we tried to focus on things like they each had a basket full of stuff that they could bring out. And Mike Arsenault, who was our sideline reporter, did a great job of kind of without physically digging through them, but being able to look and see what, what people had brought. Uh, we had, you know, we got guests on who could, one guy who actually invented the concept to rower. And, and he talked a little bit about how that whole idea came about. So you really have to just tell stories that are, somewhat adjacent to the event that you're watching and, and try to keep it interesting. And thank goodness we weren't on for all three hours. I think we could have done it with some product, with some production and uh, some, some better planning. Um, but that I had a, I actually had a lot of fun doing that event because it was such a challenge because there is said, nothing yeah. going on in front of you. There's just, there's just people going back and forth, but there is a race. So you are able to see who's winning and then you can talk about strategy. And uh, we had some great stories. One of, one of the athletes, uh, this guy by the name of Sean Sweeney, was sitting next to this kid from Australia by the name of Zeke Grove. And every 500 meters, Sweeney would tell Zeke Grove a dad joke. <laughs> and that's how he kept himself entertained. We had uh, another athlete. Her husband was in the, the stands right in front of him. And he had a Disney movie on his computer that he kept turning around so she could watch. <laughs> and so that little stuff, that little stuff starts to happen. And then you get stories and, th and things you can talk about. And then there were athletes making deals between each other because they were – Hey, are you going to come get me? No, I'm, I'm staying here. I'm not rowing any harder. So they were just trying to, you know, broker deals as far as like, you can finish there and I'm not going to come get you. But this guy, if he comes gets me, then I'm going to come get you. So we had these alliances being formed on the floor. So it was actually a pretty interesting event. And I was shocked at how many people sat in that Coliseum and actually watched that event. I thought that place would be empty. And it was more than, it was about three quarters full. Yeah, it was wild just sitting there. Yeah. I, I mean, I got, right. I got a kick out of it. I was just sitting there. Um, what, I'm, I don't know. I guess I'm not surprised that you said that you thought you could do it for a full three hours, just because I feel like the the challenge there is broadcasters. Like we like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, what? I mean, how how would you have tackled a full three hours as opposed to the the cut-ins that you guys did? There would have been a lot of stu uh, the desk hits, so we would have had a lot of studio hits with highlights from earlier in the day to kind of break things up. That's fair. Uh, 
there would have been uh, you know a lot of interviews that we would have had to set up and we had some of those i don't know if it would have carried us through three hours um <laughs> you know there would have been a lot of just going down to mike arsenault down on the floor and, and getting his observations and, and he did a great job of bringing us those and luckily the the two analysts uh, who, who were working with me, Tanya Wagner, who won the CrossFit Games in 2009, and then Bill Grundler, who's been a competitor for a long time now, a master's athlete. They are well-versed enough in everything in order to sit there and talk about you know, what they're seeing and why one technique is better than the other and what strategy is and what kind of effect this is having on your body and things that you need to keep in mind. And at that point, then it just becomes just sitting down with two of your friends and you're at a sports bar and you're just yeah. talking about a game like you would uh, anywhere else. And hopefully the things you are saying are interesting enough that people keep watching. All right, we're going to get you back to Sean Woodland here in just a second. But before we do that, I want to tell you about audible.com. Free audiobooks. Here's the deal. If you go to audibletrial.com slash pxpcast right now and sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible, you're going to get a free 30-day trial of Audible and one free audiobook for you to keep on us. Here's the deal. I know there's more of you out there that can go do this because I get the numbers. So take a second and go to audibletrial.com slash pxpcast and sign up for your free 30-day trial of Audible. Listen to audiobooks in the car, on the treadmill, at home, at work, wherever you want trying to think of other places, but I'm out of them. Free 30 days of Audible and a free audiobook for you to keep. And when it comes down to the books you have a selection of, listen, you've got them all. President is Missing, narrated by Dennis Quaid. That's the new James Patterson book, co-wrote with Bill Clinton, narrated by The Rookie. Like, can you get better than that? Uh, You've also got Water for Elephants. You've got The Help, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. That's narrated by Jim Dale. I don't know who that is, but I'm sure he's very good. Uh, If you're a political person, Amorosa's new book, That's on there, and it's narrated by Amorosa. AudibleTrial.com slash PXPCast. Do it. It's free for 30 days. Now back to the pod. Let's talk about, uh, you mentioned the Coliseum being as full as it was for the row. Um, Mm -hmm. On Sunday, it was absolutely full, um, and the atmosphere is just electric. If if you're listening to this and you've never experienced the Sunday of the CrossFit Games in that place, like, do yourself a favor and get there next year. Um... But what's it like to be in that environment and broadcast something that uh, we all talk about that week that like that matters so much to so many people um, and to feel that vibe? What's it like to have that kind of shock through your body as you're doing it? It's awesome. I mean, it, and I was I'll be honest, I was skeptical that we were going to be able to have that type of atmosphere there because I was such a big fan of the atmosphere in the tennis stadium in Carson, California, in the prior venue at the Stub Up Center. There were some great moments there, and, and that was a different beast in and of itself because you were outside, you were under the lights. Uh, so it was a different thing, but the vibe there was so cool. I didn't know how that was going to translate to indoors now uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, in a more traditional setting. But they, our signage crew, our event team, do such a great job of setting that place up and making it really conducive for spectators to have a great time. And people are into it, man. They, it's, I go back to the final event last year for the women when it was Tia Toomey and, and Cara Saunders, now, then Cara Webb, fighting for the title of fitness on earth. It came down to the final event. And there was not a single person in his or her seat. And the, the sound had feeling it was so loud. And to, to be 
part of that. And we're out in the open. We're not in a booth. We're right there with everybody. So you can hear that through your headset and you can feel it. And it gets you so fired up that you have to make, you have to be careful not to go full fan mode and just go nuts. You have to understand that, okay, wait, I'm here to do a job and call this event. I have to remain somewhat professional, but it is very easy to get caught up in that. And, uh, how how do you stay calm? (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, luckily the, the headphones do block out a lot of it. Um, but it's uh, I and I and I try not to. Obviously, I get caught up in it too. And, and you know, when there's big events in the game, you, yeah. know, you up your energy a little bit, and 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 I try to do that as well. But it's hard just to not sit there and watch, and uh, and understand that you, you look. I got to tell people still what's going on here and, and what this means and who's scoring what points and what that means to the competition. Um, and it's it, it's hard though because that that atmosphere is is really really cool it's something special and, I, and like i said i was skeptical that it was going to work out like that but it's it's uh it's great i love it i love the the, the the arena there's nothing like it there i want to touch on big calls with you too and in that environment you get a lot of them um and i know uh, you've talked in the past about having an idea of kind of what you want to say uh when you know somebody's going to win um, yeah and say so that you're not flying blind into something and Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually a topic we talk about on this podcast a lot. Um, and uh, some guys have gone one way and some guys have gone a different way. And I've done a little bit of both. I know personally in my career, um, I know at the games last week uh, when we're doing the teens and Haley Adams literally put forward the largest margin victory in, right. in any division ever. <laughs> I, I was like, I, I, I kind of want to do this one. Well, so like I actually wrote down in front of me exactly what I wanted to say Mm-hmm. Um, as the event started, I was like, I don't want to stutter over this. Let's have an idea here. And then hilariously enough, I looked down to read it and I read it wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I don't really know where I lie on how to handle it, but what's been your approach to, uh, having an idea so that you, you're kind of in the, the, the arena you want to be in, you're in the ballpark you want to be in with what you want to say when something big happens. My Saturday night tradition is usually I, I go back to the hotel and I look at the leaderboard and I figure out, okay, who has a realistic shot of winning this thing? And luckily the past couple of years, it's been, you know, for the men, it's been no doubt. It's been Matt Fraser. So I've only had to think of something for him, but for the women, it's a different story for the women. The past couple of years, there have been three or four, sometimes people who have a legitimate shot of winning on Sunday. And I honestly, I sit down and I just open a word document and I start kind of just hammering out ideas. I'm like, ah, that's I don't, that's can't be, I'll get rid of that. And, and last, this past time was, I think the first time I've actually gotten to use a call that I came up with for the women, because the way it's ended the past couple of years, we didn't know who was going to win. There wasn't that big moment of, okay, she's across the finish line. That does it. She's clinched. Um, but I'm always prepared for that in case it does happen. And I get to, I get to use it it's only worked out that way a couple of times where I've, I've had a call in mind and then the timing works out and it's like, perfect. Okay. This is, this is, uh, this is exactly what I want to say, but I have found that I'm better as I get older, I need to write things down. Um, and I, and I'm all in favor of that, but I, I think too, you, you got to make sure that you're not like, you don't get locked into that because you will know if you have the opportunity to use it, if you're forcing it in there, it's not going to work. You have to have the opportunity and the call need to need to meet up in order for it to work. And you might have to abandon it. And I did. I had to last year. In fact, if you go back and watch the last event from last year, I thought I was going to have that moment. And Tia Toomey is coming across and I start the call that I had for. I go, this is going to be perfect. And then she doesn't make it and she stops. So I have to stop mid call. And I'm like, OK, I can't go with that anymore. So that's out the window. And now we got to 
uh, we got to call the race here because Carl Webb is catching up with her. But I think it's good to have a plan, but understand that that plan might change. And if you think that you're forcing it in there, don't because it's just going to then it's going to sound contrived. What do you think going back of your call last year um, when you have to kind of throw out your idea of where you wanted to go and then you get this really good down to the wire finish between Tumi mm-hmm. and Saunders and uh, I don't know what how'd you feel that that one went in hindsight? I think I loved it. I mean, I much I would have much rather have the way it went than the way I was going to call it because it was <laughs> so much more exciting. And there were genuine reactions. I mean, Tanya, the, who was calling the event with me, would just was you know she was screaming or Mike, oh no, what's going on? And uh, I was trying to just make sense of it all and, and just get caught up in the moment as well. And I think it was, I always think the genuine reaction is better. And uh, it just that was our genuine reactions to what's going on. I think translated really well. Would I like to have had that call that I had written for Tia Toomey go off perfectly? Yeah, because it would have been a cool moment had it worked out, but it didn't. And the alternative was just as good to be able to be part of a moment like that and uh, you know show some genuine excitement and get caught up in it with the fans as well was I think was just as enjoyable. So I have one more broadcast question for you, and then one more question that uh, semi broadcast related. All right. um, the, the first one is about voice, uh, because mm-hmm. you've got, obviously, a really good set of pipes on you. Um, has it always been that way, or was that something that developed as you worked in television uh, early in your career? I think it, it kind of developed. The first, the first time, the very first time I thought that I might actually be good at this, it's all, it goes all the way back to high school. And I used to get teased about my voice like when I was in, when I was in junior high, because I just had a deeper voice than everybody else. But I never really thought that like, it was good for broadcasting or anything like that but in high school was the first time i ever had a, an idea that oh you know what maybe maybe I, I could do something i don't know uh i was the captain or co-captain of our jv football team and i was a pretty quiet kid in high school i didn't i wasn't too outgoing or anything like that and i remember we had our homecoming rally or something so it was my responsibility i had to announce the team in front of the whole like i had to call the guys out you know in front of the whole school <laughs> and i remember my coach I, he looked at me like you're not going to be able to do this but i know this is your responsibility and i did it and he came up to me after he's like man you really did a good job that was uh you might you should consider doing something like this and that was the very first time anybody had ever said to me that you know maybe my voice would would be uh valuable in a broadcast setting but i i, th- I don't know I, I think it's just i've been i was just lucky genetically with that um and, and and i think you do you learn how to use it as you as you go on you know as you, as you advance in your career and I, and I think that i've just found the right uh the right outlet for it well your, I, your diction is like phenomenal too by the way so just like, oh, thank it, you it, it, I, I like voiceover wise i feel like it's just like yep that, yeah, well, that I, it's funny about that because I I've struggled a lot, especially early when I first started, of speaking too quickly, and I've had to really, especially when I'm on air, really make a conscious effort of trying to slow down, and that's hard to do, especially when you're getting you get really fired up and you get excited about something. So it's that's something I I, I struggle with, and I, I really have to make a conscious effort to make sure that I am speaking clearly and that I'm trying to slow down and I don't trip over my words because it, it's, it's easy to do. And I think a lot of people probably have that problem too. We all have our, we all have our crosses to bear. Is there a way that you do that? Or is that just like, I try to, yeah, I try to, I tell people when I give advice to people who are kind of having a similar problem, I say, if you just focus on pronouncing every word clearly, that will force you to slow down. And if you understand you have more time than you think, because a lot of times, I think, especially in, in broadcasting, we think that we don't have enough time, especially when you first start. Yeah. i got to get all this out now. Oh, yeah. You have more time than you think. 15 seconds is a long time when you think about it in order to, to speak. But when you first start and you hear that I have 15 seconds, it's like, well, okay, 
<laughs> I better blurt all this out. But I just tell people, understand you have more time than you think and just try to focus on just pronouncing every word clearly. And that'll help you. It makes it sound more natural. Last question I have for you is uh, sort of broadcast related, but more CrossFit related. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I joked on the air uh, there was one point where I introduced us and I said, uh, I was like, you know, regionals athlete, Jeremy Austin, scaled athlete, Joel Gadette, glad to have you with us. Uh, is there a, based on the, I mean, it's one of the only sports that you can broadcast where literally all of the announcers could partake in the event that we're calling if we actually like put in the effort like mm-hmm. you know if sure. if we actually legitimately train for this like we all participate in the sport we're just not good enough to get there um right you know I, I, joe buck is not training to play baseball in his backyard mm-hmm. um so like is there a pressure to be good at crossfit based on the role that you have because yeah, people, I don't know if people see you in a certain light or it's like if I go drop into a box somewhere and I want to do a workout, I have to look like I know what I'm doing. I can't do something wrong or I can't have weird form or I can't I can't get capped at this random boxes mm-hmm. wad of the day. Uh, I, how serious do you have to take your workout program above and beyond what a, what a normal person would do just because of the role that you have? I think I don't think it's about ability per se i think it's about just being involved in it and being someone who's able to relate to what is going on on the competition floor in some way shape or form i there's no way on god's green earth i'm ever going to do fran in sub three minutes probably but i know what that workout feels like so i think i can speak about it from a place that other people who don't do crossfit can't I, our community is all about authenticity I've, i learned that really early on uh people who watch the crossfit games who are big fans of it they want to know that you are one of them and as long as you are involved in it as long as you are able to go into a gym every now and then and and work out and you you give it your best effort and you might not be the best athlete i think that that's all they care about now me personally i tend to be a little more competitive and uh i try to I maybe push myself a little more than I need to. And I probably have some unrealistic expectations because I have the, I have the weird personality quirk where, and I tell people this all the time, and this is, the, it's a huge problem. If you lined me up against Matt Fraser for an event, there's a small part of my brain that would be like, <laughs> all right, this is how you're going to beat him. Now that is ludicrous on every level ever. That's never, ever going to happen. But there is a small part of my brain uh, that will think that. So I do like to be able to be somewhat good at it. So people know that I'm not only talking to talk, but I am trying to walk the walk. Now I can't walk on my hands. I'm terrible at cer- certain things. I don't have great numbers like some of these other guys, but I think as long as people know that I'm, I'm in there putting in the work and, and doing the workouts and, and I'm living the lifestyle that adds credibility. And that adds authenticity that I think in other communities isn't as important as it is to our folks, because our guys and women and everybody that watches the sport will s- sniff out a phony really fast. I mean, I, I learned that really quickly. Yeah, my one rep maxes are what Matt warms up with. So yeah, and and same here. I mean, Bill is fifty, my broadcast partner. I'm going to be forty five, but Bill is ten times fitter than I will ever be, and he will tune up people half his age that I work with. And, and it's just like that's what it is. What it is, you know, whatever. But we're all going to go in and work hard and have a good time, and that's all anybody really cares about. Sean, if people want to find you uh, or follow you or watch anything that you do, uh, how do they track you down on the uh, on the interwebs? I'm on uh, I'm on Instagram uh, at swoodland53. Same thing on Twitter, and then yeah, 
get a hold of me on Facebook. I'm on there, Sean Woodland. All right, that is Sean Woodland joining us here on PXPCast. Thanks for his time as always. And a little bit of a different conversation that we had uh, with him this week. And it's cool to pick out a sport that is a little bit different and kind of dive into how someone does something that we don't get a chance to watch on a regular basis. You know, how do you call football? How do you call basketball? There's a lot of football and basketball on TV. Uh, CrossFit is something that is a little bit more of a specialized thing and uh, in a lot of ways takes a certain skill set to be able to call. And now having done it, like it is different. It is much different than calling anything else. It, it's much more like we talked about broadcasting stories and human interest using sports as the vehicle. And like we said, too, I think in a lot of ways is very like the Olympics because of that. Like, it's more about, in, in, in some respects, more about who these people are and the feats they are accomplishing, and that story is told through what you're watching on your screen. It's told through the fact that they're climbing this pegboard or doing these muscle-ups or snatching this amount of weight um, that you get to learn who these folks are and uh, what they've gone through and how they've trained and how they're able to, to pull off what you're looking at. Uh, we also did talk there at the toward the very end about um, kind of laying out a final call, so to speak. And I said that I had mapped out what I wanted to say with Haley Adams. And to give you the backstory on that, Haley Adams was a 17-year-old uh, girl in the 16- to 17-year-old division this past year. And of the 11 events that they had at the games, she won nine of them. And her margin of victory off the top of my head was 224 points over Kayla Stefano, who was the two-time defending champion in the division. And the 224 points went down as the largest margin of victory in any division in CrossFit Games history. So better than any, you know, open competitor, men's, women's, team, teen, masters, any age group, largest margin of victory ever. So going into the final, I was like, you know, you know, this isn't the main attraction at the games. This isn't on CBS Network Television. It's not on CBS Sports Network, but it's still a historic moment, and I wanted to do it right. And I thought about it on my way to the arena that morning. Like, what am I going to say when Haley Adams wins? Because she was, it was almost like a foregone conclusion that she was going to win. And right before the event started, I mean, like literally like a minute before the event started, I grabbed a sheet of paper and I scribbled down. Because remember, she won nine of 11 events. And she lost the last one. She came in second. Uh, so she had won nine of the first ten. So my thought process was, right before the event began, I scribbled down, Haley Adams was nearly perfect. No, I, I scribbled down, she was nearly perfect. Haley Adams isn't just the fittest on earth. Or Haley Adams isn't just the fittest teen on earth. Haley Adams is the fittest in history. So I wrote down, uh, she was nearly perfect. Haley Adams isn't just the fittest teen on earth. She's the fittest uh, in history. That's what I wrote down. And here is a lesson in uh, scripting how it can go well and how it cannot go well sometimes. Uh, because what came out worked. It did work. And I'm okay with the call in hindsight. Uh, but it wasn't what I wrote. <laughs> and I talked about it with Sean right there. I just said, like, I, I read it wrong. Because I wound up reading, she was nearly perfect, because I was going off the picture, so I didn't use her name right away. 
um, because we were showing a two shot when she finished when she crossed the finish line. We had a two shot of her and the defending champ she knocked off. So I said there was a shot of Kayla Stefano was her name. I said Kayla Stefano pushed her the whole way. Haley Adams was nearly perfect. And then I looked down and I read it wrong. And I said, Haley Adams isn't just the fittest on earth. She's the fittest teen in history. Accurate. Not exactly how I wanted it to come out. Um, because fittest teen in history, true. But also the fittest in history. Like it was the largest margin of victory in any division. Uh, so it didn't go quite according to plan. But it still worked. Um, and it's still, I think, had I not written it out along the lines of what I wanted to say. And I think it's good that I wrote it out. Because what's funny is that when I go and listen back to all the other divisions I did that day, and I also did 16, 17 boys, 35 to 39 men and women, 40 to 44 men and women, and 45 to 49 men and women. In CrossFit, when you win, you're called the fittest on earth. You're not just the CrossFit Games champion. You're not just the winner. You're not just the champion. You are the fittest on earth in your division. Or if you're Matt Fraser or Tia Claire Toomey, you're just the fittest on earth. The only final call I had that had the words fittest on earth in it was the one I wrote out. And I know fittest on earth is the vernacular, but the only time I actually used it was the time I wrote it down for myself. So I thought that was interesting. I had some other good calls of championship wins. But the only time I said fittest on earth was the one time where I wrote down, say fittest on earth. Uh, And that's the one time I read it wrong, and it didn't come out quite the way I wanted it to. So there's a give and a take in terms of kind of how the plan can go um, when it comes to to writing out what you want to say coming down the home stretch or what you want to say for a final call. So I just wanted to, to give you guys a, a postscript on that. Uh, but we are out of time for this week. So that will do it for us on uh, this edition of PXPCast. Take a seven-day break. We are back next week, and we will go back to football mode. Do we ever have some awesome, awesome guests lined up over the next couple of weeks? Um, Brad Sham is the voice of the Dallas Cowboys. He will be with us next Friday. Uh, Spiro Ditas, I've teased like to no end because... He and I have gone back and forth a couple of times to try to set up a time, and a lot of it's on me. We just haven't been able to make it work. Uh, But I believe we're going to actually get Spiro on here in the next coming weeks. Uh, Dave O'Brien is the television voice of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, He is coming up, and uh, a whole bunch of other names that uh, I've got uh, in the hopper for us uh, coming down uh, the next few weeks as well. So it's going to be a really interesting uh, September and I think even beginning of October here for PXPCast. So keep it locked. If you're not a subscriber, Already, click subscribe before you depart, and we'll talk to you right back here. Same bad time, same bad channel. It's Play by Playcast, and we're out.